Midwives dissecting life and talking shit. This is Head on View. Issued by the Society of Radical Midwives. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Head on View. I'm Carly. And, and I'm Laura. And uh, we have got a guest with us today. So we're chatting with Nikita, who is also a traveling midwife like myself. So hi, Nikita. Hi. Nikita's good today. It's Carly that we're having trouble with. <laughs> so in true travel midwife style, I am on the side of a road in a truck stop recording this in my car. I'm hoping it all goes well and my batteries don't run out. From New Zealand? Yeah. I'm at the moment. So I just flew back. My last contract was in Broome and I flew back and I am currently awaiting two babies. Both my sisters are uh, having home births and one is 40 plus three and one's 37 weeks. So we're just hanging fire waiting for them both to have babies. Yeah. Is that kind of the norm, home birth in New Zealand? Because I know in, well, I'm from England and home births are very normal there. And I feel in a lot of areas in Australia, when you say home birth, people are still sort of like, mm, no. It's definitely, it's definitely kind of taboo and supposed to even bring up home birth in Australia. A lot of people have some strong feelings about it, but New Zealand, it's very common to have outside of hospital births, whether that be in a midwife-led birth centre or at home. And with the COVID, everyone's just deciding they don't want to go anywhere if they don't have to. So the home birth rates have really risen since COVID. It's great. We all need to move to New Zealand. This is what you're saying. I can hear yeah. it. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, Nikita. I'm only living vicariously through Carly with her travelling. And I can't be a travelling midwife because I have spawn. That's children. That's <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what that means. but Maybe give us like a little bit of an overview about yourself, what you've been doing, where you want to go. Well, I am a New Zealand trained direct entry midwife. I have been a midwife for nine years now and I did my first four and a half years of my career in a tertiary hospital here in New Zealand that did like 5,000 births a year and it was just hectic and like tertiary life. And I got super burnt out and I was on the verge of giving up midwifery, which would have been quite Fitting with the statistics in New Zealand at the time, which is that we were losing a lot of midwives within five years graduating because of the stress of the job. So I decided that I was going to give travel nursing or agency midwifery a go and decided to take the plunge and just come over to Australia. And when I started, my goal was to work in every state in Australia. And I've done four states so far. So I started in Victoria and then did New South Wales, Queensland, and now I'm in WA and I got kind of stuck for a bit during COVID, just I stayed in Queensland for a couple of years, but yeah. my goal was to work in every state and to kind of have a bit of a better work-life balance and, and work half the year and travel half the year, which I managed to do for the first two years. So I spent like five months backpacking through Latin America in my first year. And then in my second year, I did some volunteer work in Africa and then COVID happened. I've just kind of stayed between New Zealand and Australia since then. Living the dream. It's a really good thing about the New Zealand midwifery degree is coming to Australia. It's just, you just apply with APRA and you get your registration in Australia or like much of a muchness. I don't even have to keep my registration in New Zealand to be able to keep working in Australia. Oh, wow. 
and I don't keep it very often. I, like I renew it every couple of years because it's actually $800 a year to be to have a registration in New Zealand. I don't keep it because it's so expensive. So every couple of years I renew it and just pick up some shifts so I can say I've worked in New Zealand because mm. I actually, if I'm out of the country for more than three years, I have to do a return to practice program because oh, we God, have yeah. a wider scope of practice yeah. in, in New Zealand because we prescribe and we work outside of hospitals and things like that. So I actually lose that scope of practice if I'm out of work in New Zealand for more than three years. So I have to, every couple of years, just kind of put my toe back in the water and say, hey, I'm still a New Zealand midwife, even still though here. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Right yeah. Is that every midwife? Because in Australia, you can get prescribing rights and things like that if you register as a private practicing midwife. But you're saying mm. every midwife in New Zealand, just kind of a standard gets those qualifications? Yeah. So basically, our midwifery degree in New Zealand is four years. Whereas the Australian direct entry degree is three years. Yeah. And so when we graduate, we basically come out as an endorsed midwife. So we come out with prescribing rights, ability to order all our own tests, scans, work independently, home birth, that kind of stuff. Amazing. I feel like I should have done mid in New Zealand because <laughs> I did direct entry mid over here. And if you want to be endorsed, you have to go do a separate, whole separate program for it. And it's a little bit more money, but. I'm interested, like you've worked in four states, what's been your favorite and your least favorite? It's tricky because obviously I've worked in rural places. You can't compare the cities in these states with regional because they're obviously going to practice a lot more defensively when they're far away from a tertiary center. I really enjoyed the work in Queensland. Queensland's very similar to New Zealand. Their policies and protocols are quite similar. I feel like they're probably the most evidence-based state that I've worked in. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. Whereas even just things like routine group B strep screening, you know, that, that haven't been, haven't been routine in New Zealand for years, like probably for yeah. years, places like certain places I've worked in New South Wales and Victoria still do that, but I know that's not statewide. Mm. So I, I don't feel like I can tar that whole state with that brush. But yeah, I think Queensland is definitely the one that's the most similar to New Zealand and WA has been the biggest shock for me in terms of they practice differently to everywhere else I've ever worked. Yeah, well, WA's weird generally. Yeah. <laughs> what have they done? Well, give I, give I can example. say that because I'm my family is in WA. The last time I visited, and you know, WA was shut off from a lot of Australia during COVID. And I have friends over there who are like, "You should come and practice here. You should come and work here." And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> I've heard they're just very they just. Very different, very different care. So I'm, as well. I'm heading to WA in yes. two months <laughs> and I haven't worked over in WA yet. So, yeah. My last contract was in Burma. It was the first contract I've done in WA and I felt like a student. I arrived and I was like, everything is different. I feel like I'm useless. The yeah. colors of the blood tubes are different. The IV pumps are different. Everything's <laughs> different. And then all their policies and protocols are different. They make all women do trial avoids after births, even if they haven't had a catheter. Just everyone whose baby has come out their vagina has to have it. Yeah, I've, I've worked at places like that, though. Yeah. Wild. It's just wild to me. And like that two hours of saturation monitoring for babies, like nowhere else does that. that oh, I've, I've never heard that. No. Yeah. So they put a set probe. It's like pass to the mum, we towel it down and put a set probe on straight away. And it stays on for two hours. But the really silly thing is in yeah. the policy, it doesn't really say, okay, this is what you do with those readings. So you write them down on the OBS chart, but there's nothing that says, you know, if it's at this point that the SATs are low, obviously you just resuscitate the baby if it needed resuscitation. Yeah. But there's no there's no flow chart in the 
in the protocol that that says what you do with it. It just says do this for two hours. Reactionary. I feel like it's a lot of it's like one thing happens and they go right. We'll put a policy in place. You know what? You you get to live in Broome and it's pretty. It's pretty nice there. (laughs) It was beautiful there, and that's what I love about about doing this this work is wherever you go, whether you like it or not, or whether you find it different or not. You get to live and work in amazing places and you get to explore the area and then you move somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying today to my husband. I was like, we're going to all these places. I said that we never would have gone to. I said, even today when we're like driving in between places, I was like, we stopped in Mudgee, which I was just like, oh, Mudgee, it's going to be like nothing there, like a one horse town, but it's actually this really cool little town. And I was like, oh, who even knew? Like Mudgee had all this cool stuff. Not me. Yeah. Yeah. Now I do. <laughs> and Australia is full of places like that. I mean, I've traveled around Australia, but when I was younger, not as a midwife, but there's so many different places. Carly, you're going to see so much. I'm jealous of both of you. How about you guys come and look after my kids and <laughs> I'll do your job. Yeah. You can and bring your kids. You I've met can, lots of yeah. midwives that have traveled around with kids. Yeah. Mine, I've got one that's like almost 15. He's okay. Mm, He's not portable. Right. right. I, I, it sounds like he is. Like the 11-year-old, she would be fine. She, I think she'd actually have quite a lot of fun. But the 15-year-old's very, it wouldn't work. He needs his friends. He's obsessed with cricket. Mm. Where did you go in Africa? So I did some volunteer work. Yes, oh. I went in 2018. Yeah, in 2018, I went to Kenya. Oh, wow. What was that yeah. like? That was really, really challenging. It was great. I went with an Australian company called World Youth International and they basically, like, they opened a hospital in rural Kenya and basically they put together teams of health professionals of any discipline who want to go and they take a whole bunch of supplies with them and they run medical camps and do trainings for all the staff at all the rural outreach hospitals. And what was that like? Was that like learning on your feet? You don't have the same structure, the same resources that you would have in a first world country. So I'm guessing you would just have to learn really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the only midwife. Everyone else that came were nurses. And a lot of the stuff we did was completely outside of my scope of practice had I been in Australia or New Zealand. But in, in Kenya, it's just like all hands on deck. But, you know, doing things like tuberculosis and malaria treatment and stuff like that and HIV clinics and all that stuff, which I learned so much, but a lot of it was very overwhelming. And like with any kind of aid work, you feel like you're not really doing enough. You know, you can do everything you can and you know that when you leave, things are much the same as they have been, which is why they focus on education so you can change the way that they do things, so that you improve outcomes long term. But it was hard to breach that that cultural barrier of feeling like, you're just some white people coming and telling them how to do their job when they've been working in the trenches for years and they know what it's like. They wanted a lot of midwifery education because a lot of the nurses there just take on the midwifery role but haven't necessarily received a lot of training around that. So they wanted midwifery training and education. So I did lots of posters for them on like PPH and delayed core clamping and all that kind of stuff. And they put them all up in their birth room, which is really sweet. And so we did a couple of births together and that was really nice. Yeah, it's just very confronting because obviously the women there, it's culturally very different. They're not allowed to make any noise in labor. They get slapped and beaten while they're in labor. It's very confronting. Yeah, it's it's quite cool. It's really, it's really different because I know when I went to Ghana, and I'm guessing across Africa they have all got different 
different cultures. But it was the same in Ghana as well. The women were told not to make any noise in birth and were, were basically, you know, they were meant to sort of look after themselves. Where I worked was sort of like a small maternity hospital. There was sort of like three labor beds, but one birth bed. So whenever they were basically ready to deliver, they would come through to the little birth bed, deliver, and then go back. And they'd only stick around for about an hour after birth and then they'd go home. And I remember one stood up and she was bleeding on the floor, not like PPH, but just like when you stand up, have a little trickle. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I went to clean it up and the midwife with me, she said, no, no, no. She said, you don't clean it up. She will clean up her own mess. And I was like, what? And then she was like, no, no, she can clean up her mess. She made it. And I was like, oh, and I just felt very, like, oh it felt goodness. very awkward. And I was oh like, well, God. can I at least hold your baby while you're there cleaning the floor? You know, just when things like that happen and you're like, obviously that's the coach I do it. I would find that really difficult. I would just be going crazy. But it's something I've always wanted to do, but I've never really had the guts to go and do it. I wonder if I could just give my kids to my ex for like three months and go and do it. No, you could, but I think it's something you have to go in and not go in thinking that you're trying to change stuff. Like you've got to appreciate other cultures and how to do it. And you can learn a lot of stuff from them as well. So you've done uh, Africa, where else have you gone? You said you went somewhere else, didn't you, Nikita? I also did a little bit of volunteer work in Vanuatu as a student, but the other traveling I've done through Latin America was just like tourist stuff that wasn't working. This is the best bit about travel midwifing because you can have these big breaks where you can just literally go great now I can travel enjoy myself because people are like you're going over there to work and I'm like no way being an American and people have asked me if I've worked in the states I'm like no way I can't work I'm trained in in Australia no well you can just go over because you're American I'm like they don't even call like they don't call the drugs the same one of my friends went over she moved from America to here a neuro nurse and she lasted three months. She said it was so confusing. So I'm guessing even if you went over and got endorsed or you could work over there, it would be, still be quite challenging because it's very obstetric-led in a lot of places in America. And, and they do, they want you to be nurse midwives, don't they, or just L&D nurses? Well, they want you to be yeah. obstetric nurses because yeah. one of my, my best friend lives over there and she's, she's in L.A. and she's like, I've only ever really seen doctors and then is, are they nurses? Are they obstetric nurses? What do they do? And I'm like, oh God. I think yeah. they're like when you work in the private hospital. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And lots of people, it's just wild to them. Like in Latin America, there's no such thing as a midwife. So when I, well, I mean, there is, but it's very rare. And like, there's no yeah. direct translation into Spanish of what a midwife is. So when I was traveling around Latin America and I tell people what I did for a living, I didn't really, didn't really understand what it meant. Because isn't like Brazil has the highest, one of the highest cesarean rates in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And so my mm. sister is having her second baby any day now. Her husband's Mexican and they lived in Mexico when they had their first baby. And oh, wow. they moved back just before the birth because basically everyone has a Caesar on their due date there. And the only reason you wouldn't have a Caesar is if you were too poor to pay for a Caesar. They assume if you're having a vaginal birth that you're poor and you can't pay for a Caesar. So she came yeah. back because she wanted a natural birth and it was going yeah. to cost like 5,000 US dollars there to get a like traditional birthing attendant to birth their baby at home. And if anything went wrong, she would basically drop them off on the doorstep of the hospital and be like, good luck, essentially. So they came home to have their baby here and she had a normal birth and his family were just gobsmacked because they were like, we don't know anyone whose baby has come out of their vagina. 
In terms of breastfeeding rates, the breastfeeding rates I'm guessing in New Zealand are good or acceptable because at the moment, like especially in Victoria, they're I think they're a bit dismal. But I just wonder what they're like in New Zealand. Mm. I mean, I can't give you any statistics off the top of my head, but I do know that the breastfeeding rates in New Zealand are good because we have LMC midwives, so lead maternity carers, like independent midwives that look after you for six weeks after your birth. And we know postnatal support is where, you know, the breastfeeding is, you know, those rates are really good when you have a known caregiver providing that care for a while. So it's the same with MGP midwives. They have better rates of breastfeeding than if someone was to just come in and have a baby and go home and have no postnatal support. And did you see a difference in WA between working? Because you said Queensland is probably the closest to New Zealand. Did you see any difference between the states in terms of breastfeeding and how it's implemented by midwives? Not particularly. Yeah, not particularly. But I think because WA, there's the high rates of Aboriginal women as well and they just get on with it and breastfeed their babies because they can't afford to have formula and things like that so breastfeeding is is just culturally accepted that's what you'll do and even if we're not the ones providing that support they've got elders in the community that have breastfed that will support them at home as well it takes a village to raise a child (laughs) yeah do you have a really great travel story that's really cool and exciting for work or for just travel or oh, oh, we love all stories Nikita all the stories oh gosh all right my wildest travel story would be not even in Australia or New Zealand wouldn't even be to do with midwifery it was when I backpacked through Latin America on my own and I was super super nervous and we started off in Mexico because my sister was living there with her husband I spent like three weeks there trying to learn some Spanish and feel comfortable at the fact that I was gone overseas by myself and was about to backpack through all these countries where I didn't speak the language and we left Mexico and our very first border crossing into Belize we got held up at the border there was a massive protest they were protesting the conditions of the road and protesting there like is allowed to get pretty rowdy as long as no one gets hurt. So they'd put like trees across the road that set them on fire. Right? Like, the police were there just supervising to make sure nothing got out of hand because apparently that was not out of hand. They were standing by the road like supervising with these like massive AK-47, like huge machine guns, and they were just stacked out to the nine, looked like some like gang bust or something. And we got held up at the border there, but I think it ended up being 18 hours. So just sitting out to a bus coming up at the border, they wouldn't let us pass. And and we'd have to go into the jungly kind of parts by the side of the road to use the bathroom. And there's howler monkeys everywhere. And they sound, I don't know if you've ever heard of a howler monkey. But, I have, yeah, but I don't know what they sound like. They sound, you've, got to, you've got to look on YouTube. They they It sounds like Jurassic Park. They actually sound like dinosaurs. <laughs> and so we're like trying to pee in the bushes. We can hear all this like Jurassic Park noise around <laughs> us. And I was like, if I knew that this was going to be happened when I left Mexico I probably wouldn't have come on this tour but I feel like when you're solo traveling there's so much that happens that you're like if I knew this is going to happen I never would have done this and you just do it and you get through it and it becomes a funny story (laughs) when you're backpacking and you do things then after you're just like oh gosh how am I still alive like what yeah like these things that happen you're just like in real life I would never go and do these rando things when I'm traveling but yeah in another country it seems acceptable Look, I've been backpacking, but I think it was like very, very tame backpacking. But, you know, I did grow up on the border of Juarez, Mexico and New Mexico. So that's that's the only thing 
that I can say was different to how people grow up here, but I'm from a tiny little town. <laughs> South America, we've met them all Spanish. Was it a struggle or was it? It was a struggle in the sense that every time I changed country, the dialect changed slightly. So I yeah. just get comfortable with, you know, Spanish in Mexico and then I'd go somewhere else. And then the Spanish was slightly different and the way that they pronounced things was slightly different. So I couldn't figure out what they were always saying. So I relied very heavily on Google Translate and I had I had a few sentences that I could kind of make conversation with and then I was just, okay, I don't speak Spanish. You just have to make sure you don't offend anyone, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I downloaded offline maps and I downloaded offline Google Translate yeah. so that I, even when I didn't have internet, I could find my way around and I could translate. And even if I typed something in and showed it to someone or pushed the text-to-speech option so it would like say it out loud, and they'd be like, okay, cool. Like, yeah. Okay, cool. What's she saying? Yeah. <laughs> but, at least, but at least in like that area of the world, when you try to speak a language, they think it's cute that a white person's trying to speak Spanish or their dialect. So they're actually quite nice about it. But when you go to certain like Middle Eastern countries, like my ex is from Israel and I like try to speak Hebrew, they just, they just stare at you and say, no, you do, you're saying it all wrong, all wrong. And they'll like make you repeat it until you speak properly. It's so rude. But that's how they are. And I looked at practicing there when I first started mid and it would, would have been impossible. They basically said to me, if you don't speak fluent Hebrew, we wouldn't even entertain you being anywhere near the hospital. Mm-hmm. Anywhere overseas is quite like apart from New Zealand where we've got sort of typical rights, but anywhere else overseas, you have to do exams or extra courses and. I remember I just looked at you know what, I'd rather just work here in Australia and my money and then go and enjoy the world, like in other places, have a holiday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. too hard to work mm-hmm. elsewhere. So where's your next contract at? Have you got one booked in or one planned? Not yet. I, I'm just hanging fire in New Zealand to see how everything goes with my sisters. I don't know how far overdue they're going to go. My sister went to 42 weeks last time, so I'm just waiting to see how things go. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking I'd like to go back to WA. I feel like I can't just do one contract in WA and say I've ticked off the stakes. Yeah. It's huge. It's yeah. massive. Yeah. You were in room. I mean, there's so many other places you can go to. Yeah. Like, and I want to go up um, north, close to Exmouth and do the whale shark season because that's kind of June, July from what I've read. And yeah. uh, that'll be when I'm looking at kind of going back after having about eight weeks at home. So I'm thinking maybe like Caratha or Port Hedland or somewhere around there just so I can nip across the mouth and do the whale shots. Yeah, that'll be nice. Well, Carly's going to be there, aren't she? Carly? I know. Is I'm that excited. Where you well, I'm <laughs> starting off in Perth and then who knows? I don't plan very far ahead because, you mm. know, too hard. <laughs> I've found as I've traveled, I feel like I downgraded my belongings quite a lot. But as I'm traveling and having to keep packing up my car all the time, I'm always like, nah, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. And I'm just... And my car's still very full, which is a bit annoying. I'm still like, right, okay, when we get to our next stop, we're getting rid of all this stuff as well. Have you found that as well? Like your belongings are just getting like less and less and less? I think because I don't, I don't have a car, I don't travel around the car. Like I fly to and from New Zealand. I think I've kind of gone the opposite direction because I lived quite minimally to begin with. And then because I've been living out of a suitcase now for four and a half years, I want to have a few creature comforts around. So when I first started, I just had one suitcase that I took with me. And now I take two suitcases for every contract and I try and pick, like when I go over for say anywhere between three and five months at a time, I try and pick contracts that are all going to be in a similar climate. So I just take one type of clothes to take, whether it's summer or winter kind of clothes, 
and I travel with like a few creature comforts. I take a diffuser and essential oils and yeah, photos. Yeah, yeah, I'm with that as well. Yeah. Like I've got my- yeah. Do either yeah. of you follow things like van life and all that sort of stuff that's on Instagram about how to live effectively whilst you're struggling? Have you looked at those? I've seen stuff like that because my sister, the one that's about to have her baby, she lives in a house bus. So they've lived the van life for a few years now. And I always say I live out of a suitcase, but I don't look like I live out of a suitcase because I would not describe myself as low maintenance at all. I travel with so much makeup, hair straighteners, all that stuff. I just want to feel like a normal person still, even though I'm living out of a suitcase. I'm not a minimalist at all. I do travel with my hair straighteners, but most of the time it doesn't look like it. Case in point, when we rocked up to one of my husband's friend's houses the other day and see my hair, look how short it is now. It was quite a fair bit longer and she's a hairdresser and she said, Carly, you look like you've got traveling hair. She said, let me just, let me just fix it up for you. She said, I'll just take off the damaged stuff. And she said, do you want to keep the length? And I was like, yes. And obviously more than she half my said. hair was damaged because <laughs> my hair is now up like above my chin. So yes. I like working in the city on a Friday because that means I can go out on Friday evening, you know, whoever wants to go out with me. and. I have trouble packing just for that. I like to have a lot of makeup. I had things and then I'm like, Ooh. so that's just like one afternoon. So I don't know how I'd go traveling. Yeah. Out of, yeah. I don't know how, when I backpacked through Latin America, I lived out of a 16 kilo backpack for five months and I don't know how I did it. But when I look back at my photos, I'm like, this is how you did it. Cause you wore like the same vibe out of it the whole time. <laughs> Every, I know. <laughs> like, oh, yes. That's like when I first went backpacking, I had like one backpack for a year. And now I'm just like, how did I live with one backpack for a year? And now our car is literally like rammed head to toe sort of thing. I have to close the door, open a window to drop stuff in and then do the window. When you came to Melbourne, Carly, when you came back to Melbourne, I was like, we're going out. I was like, let's get dressed up. And you're like, where? I don't have, I don't really have dressed up. My dressed up was, I think I put a pair of tight stockings on or something. I don't know. We were very Uh, Melbourne. We were all in black. Bit of a question, Nikita. What if you meet someone in a city that you're working in or a rural town and you like them and you want to stay? Does that happen? Are you talking about a relationship? Yeah, <laughs> look, it has happened. I mean, that's why I've had particularly long stints in certain places. <laughs> I, I went for an eight-week contract in New South Wales and stayed for 18 months because I met someone and got into a relationship. And I mean, I'm very open to the fact that that might happen at any point. I'm living my life yeah. the way I want to. and and, you know, carrying on doing the things I want to do. But I'm 30 and I anticipate that at some point I'm going to meet someone because I would like to settle down and have kids. And so I'm open to the fact that if I meet someone along the way and that uh, my plans will change because I don't really have plans. I'm just doing life every day and making yeah. plans as I go. I'm very open to anything changing kind of at the drop of a hat and that's totally fine. Yeah. Do you cool. sort of envision, like, apart from if you, you know, don't meet someone, but just in the sort of the next sort of coming years just you're happy just keeping doing as you are like you're you don't feel like you need to settle at one hospital I'm kind of in this ethical dilemma I was talking to my family about this actually today when we were talking about how independent midwifery works in New Zealand I want to be in New Zealand long term to settle down to be around my sisters when they have their babies and I want to be here around my family when I have babies but I I have no desire to ever really work as a midwife in New Zealand again, just with the pay inequities and all of the stress and all of that. And 
So I love working the way I do in Australia, but I have no desire to settle there and be so far from my family. And I don't believe in the system in Australia that is as great for the woman as it is in New Zealand. So as a woman who's who would have children, I know that I'd want to come back to New Zealand to give birth because the system is great for the women. It's just really crap for the midwives. That is an ethical dilemma. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> that's okay. I think that's all of us. My original plan, I was planning on buying a house on the on the beach certainly down, and that's kind of just gone out the window. Midwifery is such a difficult profession in that you become so involved and so emotionally invested in what you're doing and what you care about that you forget to step back and think, oh, is this working for me? That's the beauty of this profession. There isn't just one stop. You know, it's not like, oh, you're a midwife. You have to work yes. in a hospital. There's a lot of options. And there's a lot of other avenues that we can go down. So if someone's like, I don't want to work in a hospital, it's like, well, actually, you don't have to. There's a lot of other things you can do. Mm. Yeah. Which I think is why traveling, talking to people who are traveling midwives is a really good option. I don't know if you have to do your grad year right away or you need to get some experience, but I think it's I a really would, good Yeah, I would option. say you definitely want some experience before you're traveling. I know a lot of good. agencies wouldn't hire you without experience just because sometimes mm -hmm. you can get dropped in places and be like, okay, off you go, no orientation. And you're just sort of expected to hit the ground running in some places. So you'd want to feel safe in yourself, safe that you know what you're doing, but also, yeah, like confident in what you're doing too. And they do, they do often, like places that have junior staff often will hire agency to come in and basically coordinate the shifts from like day two. You have to be <laughs> comfortable to do that. <laughs> yeah. And like do in charge stuff and just, even if you don't really know the hospital and midwifery care, basics are the same pretty much anywhere but you just have to work around all the different hospitals' policies and things they like to do. Nikita, you should try and come and work in Tassie. Is that oh, where that's where I was? I spent the last year yeah. there because, like you, I got kind of stuck there in COVID. But I actually had a great time. Tassie was a really nice. Mm. It sort of surprised me. I didn't think I would enjoy living in Tassie so much, but I did. And the hospital I worked at was, it was a private hospital, but they had a really, really nice group of midwives there. Definitely on my list. I've got... Tassie and South Australia and Northern Territory left on my list. Ooh, that's exciting. Tassie's so beautiful. I've had such a good time, Chanchu. I feel like if we are ever in the same state, Nikita, we should meet up, have a wine, and we will have a lot to talk about. Definitely. Okay. If anyone wants to follow along on your adventures, where can they find you? Tree of Life Traveling Midwife on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, that's pretty much me. Excellent. I will but thank you so yeah. much for the unorganized chat today thank you oh. for having me <laughs> thank you for making the time and amongst people giving birth and all sorts of things that you're doing i know it was great until the next episode it's time to boot this baby home I didn't know it was still recording.